I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And good morning. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, and I want to look at one verse. Matthew 27 and verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour in Roman time would have been 12 noon. The Bible says in verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried. This would have been 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The day we have before us in our text has the distinction of being both the day of intense evil, and a day which witnessed the triumph, the good over evil. There's no other day in history that rises to the level of the day that the king of the ages was crucified. It was an infamous day because it shows man at the very height, the very pinnacle of his sinfulness. It was infamous because he came unto his own, and his own received him not. It was infamous because the creator is put to death by his creatures. However, it was a famous day in the annals of history, because sin was defeated. The power of Satan was forever broken, and because the black halls of death were invaded by the Prince of Life. I want us to travel back to that day some 2,000 years ago and watch as the King of Glory is crucified at Calvary. And I pray that the significance of that day will be made clear in your hearts and your mind. Verse 33, we see the place of his crucifixion. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the school. Golgotha is prominent. It was a very prominent place because it was prominent physically. Golgotha, the place of a skull, or in Latin it is called Calvary. That place that resembles the skull of a dead man, that place littered with the skulls of dead men, that place just outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem was well known to all the people who lived there. They had witnessed the deaths of thousands of criminals and others who were considered enemies of the Roman government. 
And since it was Roman practice to allow the bodies of the crucified to rot on their crosses, you can believe that the people of Israel knew this place very well. Again, it was prominent historically. This mountain that was being defiled by Rome was a special place for the Jews. The hill was part of the same ridge upon which the temple itself was built. And it was also here that Abraham had brought his son Isaac many centuries before to offer him to God in Genesis 22. This is a very prominent place for the Jewish people. Further, it was a prophetic place. In Genesis 22, we find the story of how Abraham had commanded to offer up his son Isaac as a burnt offering to God. And that passage is one of the clearest Old Testament pictures of the coming death of God's son, Jesus, on Calvary. There we see a father willingly giving up his own son in that passage to die. And there are two verses worthy of notation today from that chapter. Two verses stand out in my mind in connection to what we're studying. The first is verse 8. There Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb for a bird offering. The wording of that verse is most significant. The second verse is verse 14 of Genesis 22, where the Bible says, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. This is an ancient prophecy telling us that God would give his lamb on this very mountain. That is what we are seeing in Matthew 27. This was a very prophetic place. But then in verses 35 through 49 of this chapter in 27 of Matthew, we see the pain of his crucifixion. He endured the pain, the horror, the agonizing suffering, humiliation of the cross. And the Bible says it so simply. And they crucified him. Four words. And they crucified him. But those words do not even to begin to convey the horror of what Jesus Christ endured on that cross. Consider that fact, the fact that before he arrived at Calvary, Jesus had been awake all night. He has been through at least four trials. He's been beaten by the Jews. He's been beaten by the Roman soldiers. He has endured the horror of the Roman scourge. He has been mocked. He had been ridiculed, spit upon, made to carry his cross to Calvary, and then, and then he is crucified. 
an act more horrible than anything that I can imagine. We must ask the question, what exactly is crucifixion? In crucifixion, the Romans' particular decisive way to die, the cross is placed on the ground. The exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression in the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side. He repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow for flexibility and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down, with more weight on the nails and the wrist, Excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves. And he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment. He places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms grow weary, fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. And with these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream. And the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in that life-giving oxygen. Hours upon hours of this endless and limitless pain, cycles of twisting and joint-rendering, cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, Searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A deep, crushing pain 
deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It's now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. And he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, God the Son allows his body to die. All of this and more the Bible records with the simple words, and they crucified him. What wondrous love is this? That was what he endured because of his love for you, my friend. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to remind you that he was still the creator as he hung on that cross. He was still God. He was still Lord. And he could have called the myriad of angels from heaven. But he endured this crucifixion in silence, just as the prophet had said that he would in Isaiah 53, verse 7. Why? Why would a king leave heaven's glory and come to the sinful earth and die for people that hate him? People that are his enemies. One simple truth. Because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And while Jesus endured the agony of the cross, those who were at Calvary that day did everything in their power to enhance his suffering. The soldiers who had nailed him to the cross are at his feet gambling over his clothes. The rank and file walk beneath his stricken form and mock him. The religious leaders ridicule the sad, broken figure hanging on the cross. Even the two other men who were hanging there with him that day join in the mockery of the Lord Jesus. The only compassion he received that day was from a tiny group of people gathered at the foot of the cross watching him die. His mother, his aunt, and a beloved disciple. 
a woman also who had been delivered from a life of sin. They were there to love him and to mourn his death. Again, I'm reminded of just who this was hanging there that day. One word from him and his tormentors would have been evaporated into nothingness. Yet he did not return their torments or attacks. And when he did speak, it was to pray for them and for their forgiveness. What grace! What unmerited favor! And when I refer to his enduring the pain of those who had been condemned, I'm not just referring to his graciously saying to the dying thief in Luke 23. I am referring to the amazing event that transpired during the three hours of darkness. I am referring to that moment in time when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, literally, as the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, literally became the sin of the world on the cross. I'll never understand it, and I can never explain it. But we thank God for it every day. Because somehow, all of our sins were transferred to him as he hung on that cross. He, the last Adam, became our sin, and he was judged by God in our place. The first Adam brought sin and death to the entire human race by his actions in the Garden of Eden. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought salvation and life to all who believe by his actions on the cross of Calvary. God judged him as if he were every sinner when he died. He paid the price for all of us that we might be born again. And when the Savior breathed his last breath on the cross, redemption had been secured for all of those who would place their faith in Christ. No greater words have ever been spoken than that when of Jesus, when he said this, he did not cry in John 19 and verse 30. He did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And through his death, he satisfied God's just demands for sin. He took the place of the guilty before the judgment bar of God and secured redemption through his blood for all who would trust him as their Savior. His death on the cross forever satisfied God. His death on the cross liberates those trapped and victimized by sin. He sets us free when we receive him by faith. Can you imagine with me?
Go back in time in your imagination with me, if you will. Go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I've been there, and there's trees there, olive trees, that you know they're so huge and so old, you know that they were there when our Savior was there. Go back in your mind to that Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's sleeping. Judas is betraying. Ah, but Sunday's coming. Oh, it's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They've got no clue that Sunday is a coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter's denying. But they don't know. Sunday. Oh, Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But uh, they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is walking to Calvary. His blood is dripping. His body is stumbling. His spirit is burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world is winning. People are sinning, and evil's a gritting. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands. They nail him to that cross. They nail my Savior's feet to that cross. And then they raise him up right in between the criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. The, the, the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. It's, it's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can no one save him? Oh, it's Friday. Sunday, 
Sunday's coming. You see, it's Friday, and the earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields, yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope, hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan, oh, he's just a laughing. Yeah, but it's, it, it, it's Friday. Jesus is buried. Soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But wait. It's, it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday. Sunday's coming. And then it was Sunday. And heaven bended. God's power rended. The angels descended. The soldiers quaked. The earth shaked. The, the stone popped. And time stopped. It's Sunday, and Christ arose, minor foes, light flashed, darkness crashed, hail reeled, Satan squealed, demons kneeled, and thunder pealed. It's Sunday. Sin was defeated. Death was cheated, and our salvation completed. Jesus ascended. The throne he attended, his sonship he extended, with lives unended. It's Sunday, and praise God, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It is Sunday, so let the sun set you free. Stop living in Friday. Christ is risen. Live in the power of his resurrection. Live in Sunday. There is no reason to walk around like we have a dead Savior. Our Savior lives, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. And he is coming again. We need to walk around like we have victory instead of walking around like we lost the battle. Jesus Christ rose from the dead in the storm.